So starting from verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Let's just pray for Melinda as she comes. King Jesus, we just thank you again for the chance to be here this morning together. And as we open your word this morning and, and think about the life of Jesus, uh, may you open our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. May we hear your voice. And we pray for Melinda as she comes. We pray for that sense of clarity of communication. May she speak from the heart and she, may she speak your words this morning to us. We commit all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, morning, Richmond family. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. I've really missed being here the last couple of weeks, so Happy New Year. Um, in my role with Baptist churches, the last two Sundays I've been visiting other churches who have been inducting new pastors. Uh, and actually the next two Sundays I'll be doing that again. Um, so I've been at Aberfoyle for an ordination of Beth Hoy and then last week... Goodness me, where I say at Knightsbridge, you have a new pastor, Simon Chen, who's come from New South Wales. Next week, I'm going um, up to the Brossa. I've got a new pastor who's come from Queensland. And the week after that, I'll be at King's at Golden Grove because they've got a new pastor who's come from Melbourne, um, which is pretty amazing because in the midst of pretty uncertain times, um, a sense of fatigue, God is still at work. God is still raising his people up and calling them for his purposes. And I hope that is an encouragement to us as we await the person that God is calling to lead us as our new senior pastor. So looking forward to being here in not too distant future for that induction. But uh, even though I haven't been here, it's been great to listen along when we remember to record the messages. Um, and we've been in this series we started two weeks ago through the month of January. Uh, walking with Jesus on the road. So in Luke's gospel, Jesus is making his way from Galilee, from the northern regions of Israel where he lived, uh, where he's done a lot of his ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem for one final time because he knows what awaits him when he gets to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where his mission and his ministry will be fulfilled and completed, where he will be crucified uh, and where he will be resurrected and raised to new life. And so he has this mission, and in fact, in Luke chapter 9, um, there's kind of this tra transition moment in Luke's gospel uh, where Luke says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And it's kind of that image, you know, that really resolute, right, this is where we're going. Um, Jesus knows from this moment on in Luke's gospel, this is what's going to happen. And he is heading straight for it. And yet... Along the way, so much happens. That's Luke 9. We don't get to Jesus' crucifixion until about Luke chapter 24, I think it is, 23, somewhere around there. On the way, we get all these stories of Jesus encountering people along the road, conversations that he had, people that he met, people that he stayed with, people whose lives he transformed. And I love this picture in Luke's gospel that Jesus is both resolutely headed towards where God has called him to go 
And yet he is open to who God has called him to encounter every moment, every step along that journey. It's a great picture of the calling to the Christian life, I think, that we know what God has called us to. We have a very clear purpose. We're heading towards the new creation, the renewal of all things. We're walking towards being with Jesus forever. And yet, as we find ourselves walking with him day by day, step by step, he's with us in every encounter with every person, every conversation, every opportunity. Uh, And so it's kind of this tension between making sure we know where we're going and not getting so focused on it that we miss what is happening around us right now. And so in Jesus, we see this incredible example to follow. And of course, our saviour and his heart for the people he meets. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at these stories of Jesus uh, along the road. And Josh talked to us a couple of weeks ago about his famous encounter uh, with this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and was an outcast and not someone that anyone would have thought had any right to come near Jesus. And Jesus, she touches Jesus and Jesus wants to know who she is and, and have an encounter with her. And at the same time, Jesus is raising this girl from the dead. Uh, And then last week, and maybe a different kind of story, a bit more complex, Brad talked to us about Jesus encountering some people who said, I'm going to go with you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. And Jesus actually turned around and said, do you know how hard it's going to be? Do you know what it's like to really walk this journey with me? So today we come to this story in Luke 18. It's a lovely little story of Jesus healing a blind man. Uh, and there's all kinds of aspects of this story that I, that, you know, it's, it's what, seven verses. It's quite short, eight verses. It's... Um, quite a contained story that the more time I've spent reading it and thinking about it, there's more things I want to say. And so because um, it's about Jesus healing a blind man, I think what we see when we read this story carefully is there's a lot about seeing in this story. And you know, seeing is something obviously we literally do with our eyes, but it's also something we do with our minds and with our understanding, that kind of, you know, do you see what I'm talking about? Do you get it? And in this story, there's so much different kinds of seeing happening. And that's just what I want to walk through this morning. What we see in this story and what other people in this story are seeing and experiencing. I want to start by a little bit of context that wasn't in the reading that Mark gave us. It's not actually in this story, but immediately before this story. The thing that happens just before this story, the sort of verse right before verse 35, is something that happens three times along the road as Jesus is walking with his disciples towards Jerusalem. And that is that Jesus takes his disciples aside, the 12, those who've been with him for the last three years, every moment, you know, those who've been training under him, who he has been equipping to send out as those who act on his behalf. And he says to them, we're going up to Jerusalem. And when we get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man is going to be killed. And then after three days, he'll rise again. Jesus actually lets them in on the big picture, on the story, right? on where this is going, on why they're heading to Jerusalem. And they don't get it. They don't see it. It's just that they don't understand. They don't perceive. They don't see. They can't imagine that that could possibly be what Jesus has come to do. I don't know if it's that they don't want to see it. This is their friend. This is their teacher. They don't want him to be killed. They don't want him to leave them. Or whether it's they don't understand that, you know, what he's been teaching them, that this is how it's going to come about. Maybe they're focused on the immediate and not the big picture. I'm not sure. We're not told exactly why. But time after time when Jesus tells the disciples straight out, this is why I came. This is what I've come to do. They're blind to it. They don't see what Jesus meant. And so then, into that context, we get 
an actual blind man, a man who physically cannot see, who has been blind since birth, and he's begging by the side of the road as they enter into Jericho. Now, you probably know this, but back in Jesus' day, there was no such thing as Medicare or Social Security. There was no health system. If you were blind, that was pretty much the end of your opportunity to participate in society. He was a beggar because there was no work for him to do. There was no way for him to make his own way in the world. There was no way for him to get healing or treatment. Um, I was actually... Weirdly, I was reading yesterday about our new Lieutenant Governor in South Australia. Does anyone know that we have a new Lieutenant Governor? Like, why would you care? What a nerd. Does anyone know who it is? Well done, Carl. He's actually the Australian of the Year 2020. Does that help you at all? <laughs> it's a guy called Dr James Mookie. I think that's how you say him. I'm not quite sure how you say his name. But he's a doctor from South Australia, born raised in Adelaide and um, worked in Adelaide, but actually has worked all around the world bringing sight to the blind. He's an eye surgeon. He's focused particularly on cataracts, and then he's moved into the effects of diabetes. Uh, and you know, he's Australian of the Year, and now going to be our Lieutenant Governor. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. We have this ability that um, God has gifted us with, but over over the years of you know science and study and technology, we've basically come up with how to <laughs> fix blindness in many of its causes, not all of them, um, but in many of them. Uh, it's an amazing story. Well worth it. Seems like a very impressive man, but this man had nothing like that. There was no eye surgeons. There was no laser surgery. There was no hospitals that he could go to that could cure this. This was his lot in life. And yet, he recognises who Jesus is. In contrast to the disciples who don't get it, the man who cannot see is the one who does see who Jesus is. And he calls out to him and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. I know that you're the one who can do something for me. It's a bit of a rebuke, I think, as we read it to those of us who might identify ourselves with the disciples because, you know, we're followers of Jesus and we understand who Jesus is and why he has come, or do we? It's actually the blind man who really sees who Jesus is. Then we have this other group of people in the story, the crowd, everybody else who's come to see Jesus. They've heard that this prophet, this teacher, this miracle worker is passing through town and they want to be a part of the action. And so they have all flooded out onto the streets to greet him as he comes into town. They are there to see him in a different way, yes? They want to see the spectacle. They want to be a part of the action. And when they hear this blind man cry out for mercy, what is their response? Be quiet. Shut up. That's not what we're here for. Who are you? You're not the person that's here. That's, this is not you know, putting our best, forward, best foot forward as a town. Be quiet. This is not about you. This is not for you. And they rebuke him. They try to shut him up. Again, we're not told their motives. Do they think that he's just distracting from why they're there? Have they got their own agenda? Do they think he isn't deserving? Do they think this is you know, a society that has some pretty clear class structures and he's the lowest of the low? He's an outcast, a beggar, an outsider. You're making us look bad. Shut up. Maybe they think that Jesus isn't interested in him or there's nothing that Jesus can do for him. Maybe they just haven't really seen him at all and he's just a distraction. It's not about him. It's more about them. Whatever it is, they, again, those who have come to see Jesus, are blind to this man 
and to the heart of Jesus and why Jesus is there and what Jesus wants to do. Because when Jesus hears him cry out, he stops. He says, bring him to me. And he has a conversation with him. He elevates him, he lifts him up. This is something we see Jesus do time and time again in the Gospels. Even though he's got this big mission, even though he's famous and he's got crowds flocking around him, he wants to slow down and pay attention to really see the person right in front of him. And he sees the blind man. He sees his need, his blindness, but he also sees his heart. And he asks this simple question, I think one of my favourite questions that Jesus asks a number of different times in the Gospels of a number of different people. He says to the man, what do you want me to do for you? What an amazing question. What do you want me to do for you? I don't know if you've ever asked anyone that question. (laughs) Have you ever looked someone in the eye and said to them, what do you want me to do for you? We are often really busy doing what we think someone else needs, what we think they might want for us to do. But to actually stop and look someone in the eyes, really see them and ask, what do you want me to do for you? That is a moment of genuine encounter. Of That is an opportunity for genuine grace and mercy. Seriously, try it sometime this week. Pick anyone in your life who has some kind of need. Maybe you can't even see what their need is and just ask them, what do you want me to do for you? It's a dangerous question because obviously if they tell you what they want you to do, you kind of then have to do it. <laughs> you're putting yourself at their mercy. You're making yourself vulnerable and accountable to them. But it's a powerful question that is transformative in an encounter with another human being. And it's a question that reflects the heart of Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus really sees him and asks him this question. And his response is quite bold. It might seem quite obvious if you ask the blind man what he wants. <laughs> but actually, I'm pretty sure if most of the crowd had said to him, what do you want? He would have said money. I'm here begging on the side of the road because I need to eat. Give me some money. Give me some food. Look after me. But he recognises that Jesus has something far greater to give him. He doesn't ask for food, he doesn't ask for money, he doesn't even ask for mercy. He says, I want to see. That is a bold statement of faith because he is saying, and I believe, Jesus, that's what you can do for me. I believe that you have the power to give sight to my blind eyes. I love that he recognises that he could ask Jesus for the big thing. Not the little thing, not the immediate, just give me something to eat so I can get through the day. I want to see I want you to change my whole life. I don't want you to just make it a little bit easier or just help me with this immediate issue or to get through the day. He sees with faith the possibilities of a whole new life. And Jesus heals him. Jesus restores his sight. And the last line of this story, incredible, when all the people saw it, they also praised God. What the people see is not what they've come to see, what they missed, what they almost prevented by trying to shut this guy up. They see a miracle. They see the power of God. They see Jesus at work and they praise God. They get so much more than they'd bargained for when they got up out of their houses that morning to go and watch the miracle worker pass by. They got to see a miracle. But they almost missed it. So... What an incredible, beautiful story. 
What does it have to say to us? Maybe along the way there were some moments that resonated for you personally. I've got a few questions that I want to ask you to think about individually and then I want to ask a few questions about what it might mean for us as a community, particularly on this day as a nation. But my first question for you would be this. Do you really see who Jesus is and what he can do for you? Both the big picture of why he came If you've been around church long enough, you can probably recite that story. Jesus came to die in our place on the cross and to be raised to new life, to reconcile us to God. Absolutely true. We need to see that. We need to get that. Please let us not be like the disciples who don't understand that that is the core and the heart of Jesus' mission. But do we also see that Jesus wants to encounter and meet with you right here and right now? And that every conversation, every person you meet Jesus wants to encounter them with his grace and his mercy and his power. Do you see who Jesus is? My second question is, who are we not seeing along the way? Who's crying out and we're not listening or we're even trying to get them to shut up? Who are those around us who do see who Jesus is and are desperately crying out for his mercy and we have overlooked. It would have been so easy for Jesus to pass this man by, and in fact, the disciples did, and the crowd wanted him to. How often are we like the disciples and the crowd, and we are so focused on where we're going that we miss what is happening right next to us? I find this a really challenging story all the time, as I've said many times to you. I live in the city, so I feel like I walk around a fair bit. And sometimes I get so in the zone, I realise I'm a bit of a fast walker, you know? So you're often like just in the zone and the people, other people around you are like walking so much slower, let's get out of the way. And I go, I'm in a mission, I've got a purpose, I'm walking somewhere to get somewhere. I'm you know, going to get something or I'm going to pick something up or I'm going to meet someone. And I want to slow down because it's so easy to miss the people along the way. And some of the most incredible encounters and moments are when you stop and pay attention and notice to the people along the way. I was with um, Naomi, this is about a year ago, Naomi, who now lives in Perth, was a member of our church family in the city one night and we'd had dinner and we were walking along and there was a man on the side of the road calling out, can you help me? And everyone was just passing him by. And I think everyone thought he was just asking for money. Or maybe they thought he was drunk. I don't know. But we were challenged because we'd been talking about things like this, about meeting Jesus every moment. And so we stopped and and we said, sorry, what what was it you want? He said, can you call me an ambulance? He was sitting there bleeding. He was sitting internally. He'd been come out of being, um, what's the word for discharge, sorry, from hospital. And something had happened from the surgery he'd had. And it was, you know, he, he needed to go back to hospital. And everyone was just passing him by because they thought he was asking for money. And we stopped and we called an ambulance and we sat with him until they came and they took him immediately back to hospital. And we so came close to missing it. We so came close to missing it. That's a very literal physical example. I'm sure there's many bigger, more metaphorical ones. But if we are followers of Jesus, how do we have our eyes open to those we are encountering along the way? My third question is what do you want Jesus to do for you or for someone else? What if Jesus came to you right now and said, what do you want me to do for you? Do we have the faith to ask for the big thing? 
We've just been singing about it this morning. I believe you can move mountains. I believe you'll do it again. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Are our prayers too small? Do we just ask Jesus for the immediate? Or do we go to the very depths of what it is that we are desperately crying out for and say, I want to see my whole life to be changed? What is it that you want Jesus to do for you? And my fourth question, final one, what is Jesus doing in those around you that might show you more of who he is? Put yourself in the shoes of the crowd. It was only when Jesus healed the blind man that they got to see who he was. If they'd prayed that prayer, I want to see, I want my life to be transformed, I want to go out into the road and meet this guy that everyone says is the son of David, the Messiah, the prophet. They didn't get to see it until they allowed him to work through the blind man. That's a really challenging question. Who is the other person that God might be wanting to work in to show you who he is and what he's doing and where might we be missing out on seeing God at work because we're not paying attention to the least likely, to the unexpected, to the marginalised and the vulnerable to see that God is actually at work amongst them because they are desperate and are crying out and asking for the big thing in incredible faith. And that's how we might see God at work. So those are my questions for each of us this morning. Do we see who Jesus is? Who are we not seeing along the way? What do we want Jesus to do for us? And what is Jesus doing amongst others that we might see more of who he is? I wanted to finish this morning by asking those questions again for us. Now, often here at Richmond, we ask our questions and we sort of do a sermon application for us as a community. But I want to make it bigger today. I want to ask these questions for us as a nation. As Mark's already mentioned, it's Australia Day this week. And today, this Sunday, for around about 170 years, I think it is, so since the 1830s, um, there have been Aboriginal leaders asking that the Sunday before Australia Day. No, it can't be that long because Australia Day wasn't around since then. Yeah, no, it, it was. Sorry, I'm, I'm like second guessing in my mind. I, maybe it's 1938 is the year I've got in my mind that William Cooper, an Australian Christian leader, said, can churches please make this Aboriginal Sunday? As you come up to the celebration of our nation, as you gather together as the people of God in anticipation of that, could you take a moment to reflect and pray for the first peoples of our nation? It's a call that has been issued for however many years that is. You do the maths. I'm not a maths person. I'm a a preacher, not a mathematician. Someone else can do the maths for me. But as we think about that this week in particular, I wondered about how this story might speak into it, how this story might speak to us as a nation. So let me ask those those four questions again. The first one, do we see Jesus... Do we see Jesus' heart for the first peoples of our nation? Do we believe, do we see that God gave this land to these people? That God created them? That they were here as those who'd been blessed and gifted by him? And that Jesus loves them and has a heart and a plan and a purpose for them? Do we see Jesus' heart for the first peoples of our nation? The second question is maybe more confronting. Do we see how they have been overlooked? 
Do we see, do we really see the history of our nation and what has been done and what continues to be done? Can I, I was doing um, some study this week in the US and so um, we had a, it was Martin Luther King Day in the US and so they were talking about racial equality and they had a, a session on um, you know, incarcerations. Of, of, it was about racial inequality session, but they were talking about things like incarceration of black Americans and how terrible it is. It's got nothing on us. Aboriginal people make up 3% of our population and over 35% of our prison population. The incarceration rate for Aboriginal young men in the Northern Territory is something like 99%. Do we see this? Do we just think, oh, well, Aboriginal people just must be more criminally minded than us white people? Or do we see that there is something that has happened in our history, in our story, that has got us to a point where there is an incredible injustice happening right under our noses? Aboriginal deaths in custody. There was a royal commission that recommend, made all kinds of recommendations back in the 1990s, Caitlin? I feel like you... Sorry, 91, thank you. So what's that, 30-something years ago? None of the, rec the recommendations have been implemented. We've, we've, we've had, you know, this is what we should do if we want to address this, sitting there for over 30 years. What have we done about it? When we talk about healthcare outcomes... The life expectancy for an Aboriginal person in our nation is less than most of the poorest nations on the face of the earth. An Aboriginal person in Australia, in a modern Western country that has access to all kinds of technology and people like that doctor I was mentioning before, has a life expectancy less than someone living in the middle of Africa. Do we see it? Do we see what is happening right under our noses? Do we see the history that has brought this about? I'm not trying to make us feel guilty and blame us. I'm just trying to get us to open our eyes and be aware. Do we see their need for mercy? How they have cried out, how they have been overlooked? My third question was about what Jesus might want, what we might want Jesus to do, that question that Jesus asked. And I wonder if I got someone like our friend Brooke Prentice from Common Grace or Uncle Don, the pastor of the Aboriginal Berean Church, and asked them this morning, what do you want Jesus to do for you as Aboriginal peoples in Australia today? I wonder what they would say. I want to speak for them, but I think we know some of the answers they would give. Do we have faith to believe that God can do the big thing? that God could actually genuinely bring about restoration and reconciliation in this land. The service that's being held on Tuesday night is called Change the Heart, and it actually came out of the whole Change the Date movement, which is also worth thinking about. Um, there was this kind of a social media movement and a hashtag Change the Date of Australia Day, because although it might be a celebration for some, it is a memory of the beginning of this brutality and tragedy and oppression and ongoing inequity that exists in our country. But some Christian leaders got together and said, you know what, changing the date's not going to do anything unless we change the heart. What we really need is a heart change in this country. Do we have the faith to ask Jesus for that? Because that seems impossible. That seems like a miracle. That our nation would actually change its heart towards the peoples, the first peoples of these lands we now call Australia. Could we actually ask Jesus for the big thing? And my final question was, do we see where Jesus is at work in others? so that we might see who he is. 
that we might actually get to know Jesus more and understand who God is more by what he is doing in those that we don't expect. And this is part of my story, I think. Over the last decade or so, our church has been on a bit of a journey about engagement with First Nations people. I've had the opportunity in my work to engage with other uh, Indigenous communities around our nation. And it's really challenged and confronted me to say, they have something to teach me about who Jesus is, about who God is, about how God is at work. Again, I may have told this story before, but let me tell you it again. When I was doing the Arrow Leadership course about 10 years ago, um, we had an, an Aboriginal man, an Indigenous man in our group. And we had a speaker come who had run a church, or led a church, pastored a church in South Africa. And so only anyone wanted, during the sort of apartheid, you know, and post-apartheid time in South Africa. And so he led a church where you're trying to reconcile blacks and whites in South Africa. And so we wanted to ask him all these questions, like, how did you do it? And how did you go? That was, you know, that was a really turbulent time in your story. And then afterwards, we're sitting around the table with our Aboriginal friend and thinking, have we ever asked you those questions? And so we said to him, and it was kind of a bit of a joke in some ways, like how he responded, we said to him, like, what do you want to say to us as an Aboriginal man, Christian, brother in Christ, what do you want to say to us as members of the Australian church? And he said, well, you know, because I speak for all Aboriginal people everywhere, of course, no one person can speak for everyone. But what he said to me that so stuck with me and so shaped me since is this, you believe, you, Melinda, believe that the gospel is enculturated. That is, it is lived out by real people in real time and real place. I've been preaching that for the last however many years. Absolutely, I believe that. So he said to me, what do you have to learn about the way the gospel is enculturated amongst Aboriginal people? What do we have to teach you about Jesus? And that flipped my whole thinking on its head because I was expecting him to say something like, you know, here's what we need from you. Here's what you can do for us. Here's how you can help us. And his question was, how can you learn more about Jesus? through us. (laughs) Did you know that Aboriginal people in Australia are about 10 times more likely to be followers of Jesus than white people in Australia? (laughs) I told you the stats on incarceration and healthcare outcomes, but our Indigenous brothers and sisters have embraced the gospel despite massive barriers, i.e. the fact that the gospel came to them through people who also brought all kinds of other problems into their lives. And they are living out their faith in remote and rural communities, in our churches, in churches in our cities, in, you know, in um, Christian organisations seeking to bring about justice and peace and reconciliation and mercy and care for those in need. What do we have to learn about Jesus from our Aboriginal brothers and sisters? We've been on a journey of the last couple of years. You might remember if you've been around Richmond for a while, the series of paintings from Clarice Pulse and Nampi Jimpa, uh, where she expressed the whole story of God through her Indigenous artwork, and we took some time to learn from it. And there were some new things that were highlighted and emphasised and new ways of thinking about God that were brought out to us by her. Where are there other opportunities and examples for us as a church and for us as a nation to not just see our First Nations people as those who have need, but as those who have something to teach us. That, I think, is the challenge that Jesus brings. So, lots of questions for you this morning. Uh, A few thoughts, but certainly don't pretend to have all the answers when I talk about this, whether for your own life or whether for us as a nation. But let me go back to the story again. 
Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He replies, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. That's the kind of encounter Jesus has with people all the time. It's the kind of encounter Jesus is having with people every day around the world. It's the kind of encounter we can have with Jesus right now. And God, I pray it's the kind of encounter our nation can have with Jesus. So let me pray. King Jesus, son of David, Messiah, prophet, miracle worker, son of God. We believe that's who you are and we want to see you in the fullness of who you are today and every day, Jesus. We want to see your mission and your purpose and we want to see you in your grace and your mercy as you encounter each one of us. We pray this morning that we might see more of you. And Jesus, we love that you see us. You look us in the eye. You see our deepest needs. And more than that, you see every one of us. You see the person sitting next to us right now. You see the person on the side of the road that we are tempted to pass by. You see the person who we have not even thought of. You see each one of us and we want to see like you see. We pray that as individuals and as a church and God as a nation that we might not be blind to one another and particularly to those in desperate need. Open our eyes to see what you see. Give us faith to ask you for the big things that you might open our eyes that you might transform our lives and our nation and our world. And God, humble us that we might notice it when you do it in other people, in those we don't expect, so that we might join them in praising you for being such a great God that you would do miracles in their lives. Take these words, God, and continue to speak to us through them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.